This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our board slash our OITE review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and uh, we are still continuing on with some adult reconstruction. So if you have not already, go and hit the subscribe button and stay on tune or stay on the lookout because we're hoping within this next month or so we may have an actual print version of a podcast companion to go along with these notes, hopefully in time for the boards and then obviously in time for the OIT later on this year. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. What are some of the things that your uh, pediatric or your kind of hip preservation specialist attendings are going to uh, tell you to look for on an x-ray in a patient with uh, hip dysplasia? Yeah, and I, and I think we even mentioned some of this when we were talking about hips in our sports talk. But just for just to re- reiterate, um, these patients will have a lateral center edge angle or the angle of Weiberg, I believe is how you say it. Uh, normal is greater than 25 and patients with dysplasia are going to have less. So, you know, the value of less than 20 is going to indicate dysplasia. And how you get this is you just have a you get a dot in the middle of the femoral head and you and you make one line vertical and then you make one line going uh, off the lateral aspect of the of the acetabulum and you in that angle there so if you have angle less than 20 or you know 10 or 5 this is showing you how much amount of the femoral head is left uncovered so again these are dysplastic hips the femoral head should not be uncovered um, another thing is going to be the tonus or the seal angle um, and, and pretty much what this angle is, is kind of just showing you the obliquity of the acetabular source seal. And the normal for this um, should be less than 10. But if it's greater than 10 or greater than 15, if you think about it, it's like the, the there's more obliquity to the acetabulum. And so there may be some more subluxation of the of the femoral head because it can go a little bit more laterally and a little bit more superiorly. And with that, you also look at the acetabular uh, head index. So what is the, so just to summarize that up again on x-rays, look at the lateral center edge angle of Weiberg, as well as the tonus or the source steel angle. And you can also look at acetabular head index. There are a bunch of other terms and things that you can look for as well. Uh, But I think these are some of the, the more common ones. Um, cause there's also an anterior center edge angle. If you're looking at a different view of the x-ray and we probably won't get into all that. Uh, but what is a treatment option for a young patient with, um, with hip dysplasia and minimal arthritis with hip pain? So again, they're young, they have a dysplastic hip. You know, we looked at the x-rays, we see it's poorly uncovered or may, uh, you know, the, the, um, 
lateral center edge angle may be like 15 and they don't have much hip arthritis, but they have hip pain. What are some things we can do for them? Yeah, most uh, commonly they're going to be booked for a Bernice uh, periacetabular osteotomy or a Gons uh, periacetabular osteotomy. Um, basically what these do is they are very uh, powerful type of surgeries where you're actually, you're cutting the bone around the acetabulum so that you can take that uh, uh, kind of more vertically oriented dysplastic hip and provide more uh, superior uh, coverage of the uh, kind of anterior superior coverage of the femur. And basically what you're doing is you're just trying to create more of a roof over the top of the femur as they bear weight through the mechanical axis of the lower extremity into the pelvis and spine. And so um, you're, you're preventing that superolateral uh, kind of moment and force and transitioning it into just a superior force across the roof of the acetabulum. And it involves cuts on the pubis, the ilium, and the ischium. Ideally, you're keeping the entire posterior column in, or not entire, but you're keeping the posterior column intact. And so it's, it's a very specialized procedure, but it's a very powerful procedure for creating more coverage over the uh, femoral head. Um, and uh, you also hear about the crow classification for for hips. What is the crow classification? Yeah, so the crow classification uh, is this, this is a classification that we use to uh, classify the severity of adult um, hip dysplasia, and so it's in the four different um, you know four different classes or four different um, hierarchies. Uh, stage one is when you have less than fifty percent subluxation of the femoral head. Uh, or, or, you know, slat or no displacement or grade one, I'm sorry. Grade two is when you're going to have between 50 and 75% of displacement of the femoral head or subluxation. Um, grade three is when you have 75 to 100% subluxation. And then grade four is when you have a high dislocated hip. And, and these do come into, like, I, I've seen these, like, come into, <laughs> come into clinic, like, you know, these uh, crow four and three hips that are just, Severely dysplastic with um, subluxation, maybe even just frank dislocation of the femoral head. And those aren't necessarily your straight forward cases. It's not like this normal total hip arthroplasty due to arthritis. There's a little bit more planning um, that goes into these cases. And that being said, what's, a, what's kind of one of those surgical technique options that could be used for a patient undergoing a, a total hip arthroplasty with these crow four hips or these hips that are just that have a high dislocation? Yeah, for these crow four hips that are kind of out in left field and they have been for a long time, I mean, it's different. If it's an acute dislocation in a trauma patient, lengthening them, i.e. bringing them back into their restored normal space is not going to be an issue. But if it's a dysplastic hip, it's been dislocated since they were born, essentially, um, or kind of developed over a number of years, if you lengthen that patient down to their native hip center, uh, you're going to put a lot of tension on the sciatic nerve. You'll get sciatic nerve palsy uh, when you lengthen greater than around two to four centimeters. So if you know that you have to bring that hip down 
five centimeters, it's going to be much more beneficial to do a subtrochanteric uh, shortening osteotomy for that patient so that you're able to restore the hip center, but you also aren't lengthening the leg five centimeters. You're only lengthening it two centimeters or something like that. And then um, you can deal with the issue down the road if you want to lengthen them later on with uh, either X-fix or a precise nail, or you just say, hey, now instead of being five centimeters short, that leg is three centimeters short and you wear a shoe lift. And most patients who are in that sort of category, a shoe lift is going to be all you need for them. So uh, don't forget about a subtroke shortening osteotomy if you have to bring a chronically dislocated hip down to a native hip center. Um, and so uh, kind of moving away from developmental dysplasia of the hip uh, and onto hip osteonecrosis, what are some conditions associated with uh, osteonecrosis of the hip? Yeah, and these are like almost uh, almost always the same conditions that are associated with osteonecrosis of the other joints, like the knee and the shoulder. Um, so you could have you know hematologic disorders, you know, such sickle cell, um, cytotoxins. It should be due to chronic alcohol use, chronic steroid use, uh, previous traumatic event. You know, maybe femoral head fracture that was fixed before that still under that still underwent osteonecrosis. So these are all different things that can happen. So when you see an x-ray and you see these patients that have osteonecrosis, you should try to figure out if there is a, a cause of, of why they have this osteonecrosis. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access Rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. And so say, you know, we see these x-rays and, um, and, and I'm going to switch order to these questions here. I know we'll keep it going. And, and so we see an x-ray and we, you know, this patient has osteonecrosis, you know, what's important when predicting the future collapse of, of hip osteonecrosis? Cause we know that's one of the big things that plays in the, effect and how we treat these just like we just talked about spunk of the knee if those are going to collapse or not um so what are some important um things when predicting future collapse of hip osteonecrosis good news about this is it's probably something that if you were to ask uh, a medical student what are some things that would uh, predict future collapse, they could probably also understand this uh, topic as well. So um, just like uh, in kind of everyday life, if the starting lesion size is bigger, then it's probably going to collapse because you have more diseased bone. And if the lesion location is on the weight-bearing surface of the femur, meaning the most superior portion of the femoral head, rather than the 
inferior portion or anterior portion, which are not as weight bearing, um, then uh, it's going to collapse if it's more on that weight bearing surface. So lesion size and lesion location are the two things uh, that would predict future collapse. Just like if you had osteonecrosis of the knee, if it is, involves more of the inferior surface of the medial femoral condyle and the weight bearing surface, then it's probably going to collapse versus a spontaneous osteonecrosis that involves the posterior condyle, let's say. So um, uh, let's say you, you are suspecting uh, osteonecrosis uh, and you get an x-ray. What are some things you're going to look for on uh, x-ray for uh, osteonecrosis? Um, you know, one's going to be the, the crescent sign. And what this really is, is just a subchondral lucency. And what that does, it, it represents that there's delamination of the cartilage. And unfortunately, this is a poor prognostic sign. You know, anytime you have delamination of cartilage, it's not good for, for joints, or for, especially for the hip. Um, also, in the earlier stages, you may see some kind of mixed sclerosis and some subchondral cysts in the femoral head. And then in the later stages of this disease of AVM is when you may actually start to get collapse of the femoral head and um, degenerative joint disease. So they'll have, you know, again, this collapse and arthritic changes later on in life. Um, and you mentioned a little bit earlier um, some of the ways when we're trying to predict collapse, uh, but what is the Kerbal method? And what does it have to do anything with, um, with you know, osteonecrosis of the hip? Yeah, so this is going to uh, kind of take a look at that lesion size. So basically, you're going to take an AP and lateral of the hip, and you are going to add the widest area on the AP and add with the uh, lateral. And then basically, um, these it, it, you're you're looking at the angles. It's not the width, so it's you're not looking at how many millimeters is this. Uh, wide, you're looking at the angle that involves the uh, osteonecrosis, kind of a uh, like a clock face, where if it involves um, half of it, then it's probably going to collapse versus, versus not. And so you're going to look at the angle, which is going to predict the eventual collapse. So um, you can also do this method on an MRI, uh, and you have a high risk of collapse if the combined angles are greater than 240 degrees and a low risk if the uh, angles are less than 190 degrees, which is also known as the modified uh, Kerbal angle, which is on the MRI. So um, measuring from the center of the femoral head to the widest portion of the uh, uh, osteonecrosis and, um, <clears throat> and then um, on the uh, coronal views, I believe, and then you use this sagittal on the, if you're looking at the MRI, which I, I believe that is correct. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I think you look at the coronals and the sagittals and not the uh, axials. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's right. And so, uh, so yeah, if you're, um, which kind of goes along with the, if you have a bigger size, you're going to have a bigger angle. So, it, it's it's a different way of measuring kind of the same thing, um, but this gives you a more objective measure of using angles rather than 
just kind of subjectively looking at him being like, oh, that lesion is big versus small. Like it, there's no determined uh, how big a, a lesion is going to be. Um, and so uh, what are some of the treatment options for osteonecrosis of the femoral head without collapse? Yeah, so I've seen it, it at least in two sources. So I wrote it down here. Um, bisphosphonates is one of the treatment options, but there's also mixed results um, with this bisphosphonate use. So just know it's an option, but there are mixed results. I, I hope, I, at least I don't think they're going to test on that. Other things um, include core decompressions. And basically what this is, I think I realized we didn't, we didn't really explain what it is, but what this is, is you have a screw, um, a screw or a pin or a drill bit. You know, there are multiple techniques on how to do a core decompression. Pretty much what you're doing is you're going and decompressing that area. So you're going in with a drill bit. Uh, under x-ray and you're trying to get it right in the femoral head and again there are multiple techniques some people use just one um, drill bit some people use multiple drill bits and in and drill multiple holes um so that's one of the treatments for it another one is decompression and you can use a vascularized fibula graft uh, to try to increase some blood flow to the area and you can also decompress and use a non-vascularized um, graft so you just put some other type of graft in there. Um, but those are just some of the treatment options for osteonecrosis of the femoral head, but importantly, without collapse. So that curveball angle is definitely not greater than 240. Uh, maybe it may be less than around 190 or somewhere around that. Um, but what are some treatment options for osteonecrosis of the femoral, of the femoral head with collapse? Uh, this one is a little bit more uh, straightforward compared to the femoral head without collapse because you, uh, you have a deformity in the femoral head and you have uh, kind of a knowledge that uh, a deformed femoral head in a concentric acetabulum is going to increase wear rate and is going to increase their chance of arthritis. And so uh, to prevent debilitating arthritis, um, you are most likely going to be doing either a total hip uh, on these patients, which is probably the most common. However, they do uh, uh, have resurfacing hemiarthroplasties and resurfacing total arthroplasties. Um, I've done one resurfacing arthroplasty and uh, they haven't done any. They can do well, but it's, uh, I don't know, for me, because even the modern uh, resurfacing arthroplasties, they are still metal on metal to the best of my knowledge. Um, and we, we know what happens with metal on metal uh, arthroplasties as they kind of increase wear and then you have metal ions and then you can get pseudotumor formations and, and toxicities and stuff like that. So I probably wouldn't be the first to be doing a resurfacing arthroplasty on my patients, but there are people out there that still do them and still believe in them and, and they can work really well if they're done properly. Yeah. So, uh, so let's see here, uh, a little bit of a patient presentation. So uh, you have a 40 year old female, she's, uh, in your clinic. Uh, she has hip pain, um, has had no trauma, works a, uh, just a, a regular job. She's not a heavy laborer. She's not uh, doing a bunch of like 
crazy uh, stuff. Um, and you see some osteopenia on x-rays uh, without any medical history or, or anything concerning. What, what sort of uh, kind of differential are you coming up with in your head? Yeah, so I think I remember even seeing a question on this at some point. But, you know, when you're talking about, just like you just said, the story you just made with four-year-old hip pain, osteoporosis, no events, you want to at least have on your differential of transient osteoporosis of the hip. And this is exactly what it sounds like. You have transient osteoporosis or um, kind of just, um, you know, poor bone, um, the numerical amount of bone of the hip. And if you get an MRI, you can see changes in the femoral head that go all the way down to the inner trochanteric region. But luckily for patients, this is typically self-limiting and surgery is typically not necessary for this disease or for this condition. Um, So just note that, you know, a young female comes in, hip pain, no event, no arthritis, and just some osteopenia that you see. You even make an MRI with social changes uh, in the femoral head. Uh, that's going to be transient osteoporosis of the hip. And um... thank you all for listening to that episode. Hope you all enjoyed it. Please hit the subscribe button and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Nailed It Ortho.